Hey, podcast. This is one of my favorite speeches uh, that we recorded this year by far. Uh, Rick Sapio is an unbelievable entrepreneur. He has started uh, multiple businesses. Um, he runs an incredibly successful private equity firm, and he's just an overall great guy. He really lives in the world of simplicity, not only in business, but also in his personal life and with his family. Uh, he's incredibly smart and incredibly interesting. And in this episode, in this speech that he gives, he talks about values and why values are so important and why it's so important to really understand those values and to crystallize them uh, in your family and also in your professional life, especially if you're a business owner. Enjoy. This is the Evan York Podcast. So I realized when I was hearing the last uh, couple of speakers that I have a passion for people not making the same mistakes I made. And I don't know why I'm so passionate about that. My wife always says, let them make mistakes. But the mistakes are what cost you, especially the big mistakes. And I realized that people generally don't make the same mistake twice. They make it 20 or 30 times. And I'm not sure why they do that. So part of my presentation is to help you guys not make the same mistakes I made. So I'm, I'm 56. I started my first business at 13, 43 years of entrepreneurship. I've started 21 companies and I've made every single mistake that you can possibly make in business. So I'm not here as a knower. I'm here as someone who's experienced a lot and I'll share those experiences with you and We've created a set of tools, which I want to hand out, that have helped me and helped our portfolio companies. So I'm here really to share from the perspective of making a lot of mistakes in life. All right. So I've got a handout. When I hand this out, I think last year I didn't have the handout. Morgan said, bring the handout. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna, these are for these guys, but Jessica has them for you guys in the audience. If you don't have a pen, she's got pens too. I'm going to hand this out. And what I want you to do is open it up to the first page. Just flip, flip it around like this. Okay. Who doesn't have a pen? Raise your hand if you don't have a pen. First rule of business, always show up with a pen. So I've been hired a lot to do turnarounds of companies and I did a turnaround in 2008 and we brought a set of tools to the to this situation. We ended up, this company was gonna go bankrupt. We ended up turning around and selling it. And the CEO said, where'd you get these tools from? And I said, well, we have a holding company and we make a lot of investments and we created a set of tools. He said, you should create a program about that. So Business Finishing School was founded in 2010 as a way for us to honestly find deals because we would go inside companies and they were always, not always, oftentimes broken. And our hit rate on investments was one out of 400 deals that we looked at. And so we created this program to increase the probability that you would be open to receiving investment. So why am I doing this? I believe that if you're starting a business, it should be started with one goal in mind that it's saleable from day one. And so I'm gonna take you through this business success index. The higher your score here, the greater the likelihood that it's saleable. And people say to me, well, I may not wanna sell my business. 
if you own a business, would you rather own a saleable business or not saleable business, <laughs> right? So the goal here is to make your business as saleable as possible. So I'm gonna go through this with you. Everybody's gonna have a number. Oftentimes the CEO could be sitting right next to a key employee and they come up with radically different numbers. So I want you to grade yourself from one to 10. And this is for everybody in the audience too. These are things that we have noticed. The higher your score, the more saleable your business is and the easier it is to run. So grade yourself from one to 10. A score of 10 indicates that you fully agree and that you're actually doing that. And a one or zero means you're not. So delegation, I have no problem delegating tasks and objectives in my business. In fact, I delegate even the most important objectives of my company. If you delegate everything, give yourself a 10. If you're Superman or Superwoman, how many people have heard the Crash Dummy song, Superman Never Made Any Money? Most entrepreneurs that put their name on the door or all roads lead through me, horrible businesses and not investable. So your goal is to make the business as little dependent on you as possible. Number two, time management. I rarely work more than 45 hours per week. And while I am home, I rarely use my computer or phone for work. And I realize I'm contradicting the last guy that was up here. I apologize, Ron. So if you don't work more than 45, give yourself a 10. Business strategy, as the leader, I always spend more than 50% of my working hours on high-level purpose and business strategy-related tasks. If you spend more than half your time on that, give yourself a 10. Number four, I'm very confident that my business employs the right executives on the leadership team. I do not need to hire anyone else to fill roles on my leadership team. Incredibly important first speaker. Debt, my business and personal life are both debt-free except for over-collateralized assets, i.e. real estate. And you're gonna have your own view of debt, but if you're in a good place debt-wise, give yourself a 10. Number six is really cool. There's two guys named Steve. I never met either one of them, but neither one had a college degree. Neither one had any business experience, zero. But they built a little company called Apple that has a trillion dollar market capitalization, all because of this values-based decision-making. They understood what Apple stood for. I realize that having a crystal clear set of values from which all decisions are made simplifies complexity. Therefore, our business has a clear set of values from which we make all decisions. Grade yourself from one to 10. I've noticed that people who are clear on their values in their family and in their business have a way higher probability of success. Seven, stress. I am never stressed. It's kind of funny, right? In fact, I can't remember the last time I was stressed out or reactive about anything that has occurred in my business. Grade yourself from one to 10. Number eight. This is a roadmap to follow. All of these things are. Each quarter, I sit down with my leaders to formulate our five quarterly objectives. That's the company's quarterly objectives. Then we communicate these objectives to all employees along with a bonus system tied to achievement of these objectives. If you're doing that every quarter, which you should be, give yourself a 10. And then individual accountability. We have built levels of accountability down through our organization to all employees so that everyone is accountable to clear objectives inside the business and everyone is crystal clear on what is expected of them. And then number 10, purpose. We feel, or I feel that I am on purpose as the founder. 
I also feel that my business has a clear purpose that fully aligns everyone in the company and that everyone in the companies can clearly articulate our purpose statement. All right, give yourself a one to 10 there. If I went too fast, I apologize. And then do the math. If you pull out a calculator, you're in the wrong class, probably. <laughs> so how many people here are familiar with the Gallup poll of 5.5 million employees where they asked, how happy are you at work? And they graded them. And 72% of the people in the poll graded themselves either unhappy, miserable, or working against the company, 72%. You're familiar with that, Darren? Yep. They went back and interviewed 50,000 people and said, what would it take to have you be fully engaged? 72% were some level of unengagement. When they went back and re-interviewed some of them, people said, very simply, I want to know what the company stands for, what my role is, what the objectives are for me and the company. That's it. 72% of people can't answer that for their own company. Isn't that crazy? All right. So your BSI is a business success index. And we have noticed, I don't know if I put it here, for every 10 points that this goes up, your revenue goes up by about 50% is what we've noticed. And thousands and thousands of people have done this. So anybody in the room score more than an 80 on this? You did? I'm just seeing who all the bullshitters are in the room. <laughs> That's funny. Average first time score of people that are really honest is 19. 19. Did anybody score under 20? That's who I want to talk to. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't mean to call you out, but this is really hard to do, but it is a roadmap. So give it to your COO, your president and say, we want to do everything on here. I want tens this quarter. So people say, I don't really know what our quarterly objectives should be. Here it is right here. Give yourself tens on all this. All right. So flip it over to this page. And basically what I'm going to hand you is our internal worksheet for how to create a saleable business that's easy to run. So the first thing is, there's two blanks on top. So what is this presentation about? Last time I was here, I talked a lot about family, but it's exactly the same thing. It doesn't matter if it's, a, if it's your family or your business. This is about adding consciousness to all business actions. I think most people are unconscious. We get up in the morning, we got 30 texts to respond to, we've got all these pings and all that crap that's hitting us, and we're just reacting. And I love reading books. If anybody's read the book, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, 98% of what every single person in this room does on a daily basis is habitual and reactive. We're not really conscious. We're all unconscious. And so the goal of this presentation is to add some consciousness to your business action. So if you want to fill it in so you can give it to your president, it says, it's hard to read here. This is about adding consciousness to all business actions. All right. So I have these three operating values that I live by in my personal life and in my business life. And A, B, and C right there. You don't have to do this, but again, if you want to build a sellable business that's easy to run, I would encourage you to look at these values. So the first thing is, in your business and personal life, 
is, where's my marker? Simplicity. Simplicity. So that's A, simplicity. And again, we, we stress this as an operating value. How do we keep things as simple as possible? And oftentimes we don't think about that in business. How do we, well, let me just get through it. So simplicity has an operating value in your family and in your personal life. B, probability as a value. Think about probability as an operating value. Everything we do, we attempt to put through this lens. Are we increasing the probability that we hit the stated outcome? So last year, I used the example of when I was 13, my dad died, and I was a seventh of 10 kids. And I had to grow up fast, living just outside New York City and not, not having any money. And I realized that I got my entrepreneurship from the fact that my dad died. And so I realized, how can I reinvent that with my four kids who are now 6, 8, 10, and 12? And so my wife and I talk about this every day. We say, what should we be doing that's going to increase the probability that we have 18-year-olds who are independent, entrepreneurial, respectful, hardworking, all the things that we want. We have a list of values that we want them. So we have things that we don't do. For example, there's zero sports in our house before 10. If you're 10 or less, no sports. And it makes life easy, right? Because we don't have to have them in the back seat being, you know, driven all over the place. I'm not telling you, you shouldn't do this. This works for us. We're very clear. We have dinner on the table every night. We have the family placemat, which I didn't bring copies of this year, but it's right here. Since my dad died unexpectedly, I put all everything that we stand for as a family right here on the family placemat. It's right here. And one of the things along the lines of what I just told you, it says, if you are a member of our family, you must realize you will never receive an inheritance from mom or dad. <laughs> my wife didn't get an inheritance. I didn't get an inheritance, but we'll teach you how to be an entrepreneur. It's right here. So they're never going to ask us. By the way, that includes college, too. But that you got to decide what you want. So, again, I'm telling you these things because from our perspective, we want to increase the odds that we have an independent 18-year-old. Yes. Yeah, familyplacement.com. So many people asked us about it. So familyplacement.com if you want to see it. Thank you for that. Now I lost my train of thought. Okay, so every decision you make in your business should increase the probability of the stated objective. So I see it all the time. The office manager quits, so you hire your drunk, out-of-work sister-in-law who wrecks the company. Is that going to increase the probability of you creating a saleable business? No. And then C, we heard the word so many times with the prior speakers, leverage. Everything that you do in business should leverage an existing relationship or an existing business line you're in. And I see this all the time. I, <laughs> I have a dentist friend, very successful dentist friend. He decides to do a real estate development project. Like, what the hell are you doing a real estate development project for? And he almost went bankrupt. Do things that leverage existing relationships, existing business lines, existing technology that you have. Now, I am not saying, simplicity, probability, leverage, I am not saying you shouldn't do crazy entrepreneurial ideas that you have and that you're pursuing and the hectic life that you may have. I am saying if you want simplicity, probability, and leverage in your personal life and in your business life, 
then do these things, then use them as operating values. I hope that made sense what I just said. Where's my timer, by the way? Wow, okay. All right, the business frame. So the purpose of this page and the prior page is really to help you increase the odds of success and the odds of having something that's investable, where people would want to invest in it and that's sellable. So the first thing is, so number one, I'm not, you know, I was going to try to draw it here, but I've realized I don't have a lot of time. Number one is purpose. You have to have a four or five word purpose statement. Four or five words. If it's more than that, no one's going to remember it. It has to be crystal clear. I love when I walk into a company and the CEO says, everybody knows our purpose. And they go, that's really strange because on the way to your office, I asked seven people what your purpose was. And their response was, oh, we did that at a retreat two years ago. Your purpose has to be crystal clear. Number two, catalyzing statement. It's something that we trademarked about 12 years ago. A catalyzing statement is a statement that emotionally connects to all your important stakeholders. And there's really interesting ones. Like there is no way on God's green earth that FedEx should have survived as a company except early on and that Fred Smith credits it. You remember the line when it absolutely positively has to be there overnight? That launched FedEx. No one would ever say I think I used this example last year, Lovey's Pizza in my hometown. He made the best pizza, Antonio Lovitello. And he made incredible pizza. And all he kept saying is, I can't wait until I get back to Italia. And he busted his ass until he died at 83 with one store, Lovey's Pizza. And he would always complain about this Irish bum who created the world's crappiest pizza, Domino's. And this Irish bum, as he would say, who created the world's crappiest piece, and went from one store to 10,000 stores, whatever the hell the number is. But the first two or 3,000 were 30 minutes or less, so it's free. Remember that? And that was the worst food, but we can get it in 30 minutes or less. And here's the thing, it catalyzed their important stakeholders. I was one of them, who was I? I liked to drive really fast and I made tips. And those people who like to drive fast and made tips became the store owners and managers and all of that. Just think about how it all integrated together. Microsoft was not growing that fast until Bill Gates said, a computer on every desktop. What I'm saying right here is really easy. Anybody in this room can string together words that creates a compelling catalyzing statement that compels your stakeholders. So again, I'm trying to make it easy for you. Number three, values-based decision-making. I saw that book on values. Somebody just handed it to me, but I, I don't know where I put it. So here's the thing. You should have for your family, for your life, for your company, at least three values. But these are not just values that go on the wall. These are values that decisions are made from. Everybody's talking about them. They're top of mind. And the, there should be a clear number one. In our company, a clear number one is simplicity. Okay? So I want to share a quick story. I'm in the, we invest in private equity funds, and this is a real cool story. Has Phil Romano ever spoke here? 
So we're partners in uh, three private equity funds, and a lot of people think he made money in the restaurant business. And he didn't make, he did make money in the restaurant business, but he made a lot of money with this cool story I'm about to tell you. A lot of you know the stories. It's public information, but he's playing golf one day in San Antonio, and someone says, there's this whack job. That's, that's how Phil tells the story. There's a whack job in the, in the ninth hole trying to sell this medical device. No one will invest in him. The University of Texas, San Antonio will not invest in him. So he goes and meets the guy. And the guy's name is Julio Palmas. And Julio, who's also in the fund, tells the story that nobody would talk to this guy. So Phil basically says, what do you got? And he had x-rays of this little heart stent thing that you stick it in a vein and opens up and it makes the vein larger. So it's called the heart stent. And Phil says, well, there's a lot of people in the world and everybody has a heart. You got a patent on this thing? And Julio says, yes. He goes, what do you need? He says, I just need 250,000 bucks. So Phil invests 250,000 for 30% of the business. And Julio says, we're going to hire thousands of salespeople all over the world. And they're busting their ass trying to raise money and hire all these people. About three years into the deal, Phil says, Phil's thinking about simplicity, right? He goes, Julio, what do you really want to do? He goes, well, Phil, what I really want to do is I invented this method to create wine and I want to make wine. And he laid out these plans. He goes, you really want to make wine? So simplicity, probability, and leverage. So you know what happened now. Phil goes, if you really want to make wine, what the hell are we doing running this business that we don't know anything about? And a lot of us don't know why we're in business. Julio just wanted to make wine. So Phil calls his buddy at J&J, and the rest is history. They have the meeting, and J&J ultimately pays $660 million for the business that didn't have to hire anybody. That's called simplicity, probability, and leverage. But here's the best part of the story. If you go to, how many people have been to Napa and been to Palmas Wines? Is that the coolest place on earth? They got all these elevators that go underground. He spent all of his money on this damn contraption. (laughs) And he says, I'm not going to be profitable for 20 years. I don't urge you to do that if you get $660 million. But it gets to the point of simplicity, probability, and leverage. Most people are the person trying to hire all the salespeople. Instead of, there's probably someone that could do this better than us. And they have deeper pockets than us. So I like that story because it demonstrates simplicity, probability, and leverage. The other thing that this, if you fill this out, you do these two pages, it will. So Darren Martin wrote this book, A Company of Owners. He's sitting over there. And I love this. I opened it up to this. It says, fire your employees. And the reality is, if you do the work on this page, you won't have any employees. Everybody in your company will be a partner because they're going to be partner in helping you achieve what's on that page, what the purpose is, what the catalyzing statement is, what your values are. All right, number four, we talked about strategy before, and I I teach a class at MIT every year. I've been doing it for like 18 years, every spring. And this Harvard guy would come in, and I listen, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but like they would teach two years of strategy at Harvard Business School. And he says, you just taught business strategy in 10 minutes. That takes two years at Harvard. But here's business strategy in a nutshell. I'm just going to give you my version of it. This isn't the be all end all. But if you do this work, so on line four, just put real business strategy. Okay. So what's real business strategy? 
it's crazy to me how few people can answer this question. One line, what business are you in? So it's what with a question mark. What business are you in? The second one is <laughs> who? Who is your ideal customer? Not an avatar, but who? Our ideal customer is Mary. Mary's 42. She's got five kids. She refers business constantly. Who? Like, who's your ideal customer? And then the last one is how. And in how is two things. How do you market? And how do you deliver your product or service? And I'm going to tell you the example. I think I may have told you this last year, but Jeff Bezos is brilliant from this perspective. Do you remember when Amazon first started? What did everybody say about Amazon? There's no way they could what? No, they, they're never going to be able to compete with Barnes & Noble. They're never going to be able to compete with brick, brick and mortar. It's impossible. And Bezos said, he answered these questions. He said, I'm in the business of selling books. Why? Because they're cheaper to store and cheaper to ship. He realized that you could ship them by fourth-rate mail. So what business are you in? Sell books, two words. And they said, you can't do that. That's impossible. You need brick and mortar. Number two is who was people with an internet connection. And that was a really funny one because Business Week did an article that showed Bezos with his pockets inside out. And it said, Amazon going bankrupt. Okay, so what business you're in? We sell books. Who? People with an internet connection. How? Answers two questions. How do you market? Only online. They thought he was crazy. And then how do you deliver your service? Fourth rate mail. If you can answer those three questions, what, who, and how, and what happens if you do this right and you spend a week with your team figuring this out, that's what starts the flywheel. And then when the flywheel goes, what's Amazon doing now 20 years later? They're opening up retail stores. All right, number five, Jack Welch used to say this all the time. When Jack was running GE, it was one of the best performing stocks. He used to say, I don't care about anything but what your long-term goals are 20 years out. I just want to know five of them. And what your quarterly goals are three months out. You show me your quarterly goals as a business, which is number six, and your long-term goals, which is 20 years out, the middle will take care of itself. So number five is long-term five long-term objectives and six is five quarterly objectives for the company. All right, I'm going to give you a little tidbit that we've learned and we implement this on the companies we invest in. When you, it's for employee longevity, but I'm going to use Darren's language, owner longevity. I think every employee on earth should be paid five ways. They should get a living wage. I don't like hourly. Give them a salary. My, by the way, this is just my view of the world. Number two, have a company-wide bonus quarterly. Everybody in the company gets whatever you make up, 500 bucks at the end of the quarter if the company achieves all five goals. And I'll take you to dinner at the French room or wherever. So have something that everybody gets the same thing. We're all pulling the chariot in the same direction. So one, living wage. Two, company-wide bonus. Everybody gets the same thing. Three, benefits. We use a PEO. I love them. Do you get IBM-like benefits? And the reason I do that is I don't want my employees going home 
and talking to the spouse about, hey, I heard that they pay better benefits over there. Four, individual bonus. You hit your quarterly objectives, you get bonus. And five, something long-term. So it could be, I love using the example of Brett. He's a local guy. And when he hires people, he says, on your 10-year anniversary, you get a cruise around the world. And I'm like, that I just didn't add up to me until I met Sherry. And she was like, this real bright-eyed girl, and she goes, nine more years. I'm like, what's nine more years? He goes, she says, I get a cruise around the world. And Brett pulls me aside one day. He goes, you know, in 25 years in business, I've only had to give out five cruises, and they only cost six grand. But he got all that longevity. So living wage, company-wide bonus, benefits, you know, like 401k and all that stuff individual bonus, and then lastly, something long-term. We like stock options, but people get freaked out by that. How is this going? This is very different than last year. You guys are quiet, you're writing. All right, the bottom three boxes. If you get this right, and I would take a lot of time getting this page right, the bottom three I call TDE, trust, plus discipline, plus execution. And here's where the trust comes in. When you bring an employee on board, if they don't trust that everything on this page is doable, then get rid of them. And your job as the leader is about executing on this page. If you've heard me speak before, well, let me just repeat that. Trust plus discipline plus execution. You're executing on this page and everything's on the page. Your long-term goals, your short-term goals, which align with your strategy, which aligns with your values, which aligns with your catalyzing statement, which aligns with your purpose, which aligns with your simplicity, probability, and leverage as operating values. So the faster you get to what, the better off you will be. And the people with bigger companies are going to figure this out. When I say it, they're going to go, damn, that's it. What's what? Who said freedom? That's the wrong answer. <laughs> I'm messing with it. So I, I have this tape. I interviewed 44 billionaires. It's pretty cool. It's, uh, if you go to ceocoachinginternational.com slash billionaires, you could hear the, it's 37 minutes long. But I remember a long time ago, I heard Herb Kelleher speaking and he said, and I'm like, holy shit, that, I mean, holy shoot, that, it was brilliant what he said. Herb Kelleher said, if I want Southwest Airlines to grow, I want monotony. I want everybody in the company to know exactly what they're doing all the time, and all extraneous things. And so the quicker you get to monotony, the better off you will be. And here's what I mean by monotony. Monotony is repeating the same thing over and over and over again, like the world's best CEOs do. If you're like crazy running around and doing all kinds of stuff, that's not monotony. And by the way, that might not be appealing to you, but I'll tell you what monotony is. I forget what year it is, but he was the, he was the biggest entertainer at the time, Jerry Seinfeld. I was in New York and I saw Jerry Seinfeld. No, I was in New York at Caroline's and they had open mic night. And so I'm there singing a Frank Sinatra song. Fly me to the moon. 
And I'm halfway through the song, and Frank Sinatra walks in with this big bouncer. I'll never forget it. And I'm like, singing the damn song. And he sits right down in front of me. It was an open table. And it was just like yesterday. It was 1990. And the big guy taps on Frank Sinatra's shoulder, and he says, hey, Frank, you sound just like Rick Sapio. <laughs> I'll never forget that. But here's what I was going to say about Caroline. So I'm there one night. It was open mic night. And Jerry Seinfeld walks in. He's the most famous entertainer in the world at the time. It was, like, it was whenever Seinfeld was big. And he just kind of says, hey, I got a few words to say. And he gets up there. He trips. He burps. He says a few jokes. He did a practical thing. Anyway, and it was all off the cuff. I'm like, wow, this guy is really funny. Two and a half years later, I'm in Vegas. And I see Jerry Seinfeld is playing. And I was excited to see him. I felt like I knew the guy. He did the exact same thing, exactly. Good CEOs know the playbook they're working off of. And they repeat themselves a lot, which is the right side. The outcomes on this page are then wrapped by accountability and consistency. And from this point forward, your job as the leader is to beat the drum and never stop. Beat the drum and never stop. And the best entrepreneurs and CEOs on earth are really good drum beaters. And you would think, that might, that's kind of boring. If beating the drum made you a billion dollars, maybe it wouldn't be so boring. So I highly encourage you to, I mean, th th we just learned this by trial and error, really, over many years of doing the same thing. And it, it really is kind of boring in the private equity business that we have to look at 400 companies to find one. It's hard work. But the team just beats the drum and looks for certain things. I got five minutes left. This was very serious compared to the last few times. I told more jokes last time. But any questions about what I just said? I know I dumped a lot on you. I'll start. Rick, when you look at a company, the name of the company is important to you. If it was Rick Sapio Enterprises, would you buy it? No, if the, if the owner's name is in the, on the door or anywhere near it, no. Because who wants to work for Bob Smith Enterprises? Because people only want to deal with Bob Smith. Yeah, is that, am I answering it? Yeah, I mean, that to me, that hit home because yeah. I see so many companies and they put their name in the title of the name. And I just think that's powerful the way that you think about that. Yeah, and there's a lot of simple things like that. I remember when Jessica Nunez asked me to mentor her, and I met her, and I said, I'll mentor you, but get your damn name off the door. She's like, no, I can't do that. Everybody knows Nunez PR. And she called me back. I want to sit down. I said, don't call me back until you change the name. And so she finally did, and the company exploded after that. Because what happens when your name is on the door, all you're doing is inhibiting great people from working for you because they don't want to compete. Right? So, yes, Tim. So from last year, I remember that you, I feel like you have one of the best work family balances. How many people in your family have been divorced and what night is date night that you absolutely <laughs> won't change? So I believe in simplicity, probability, and leverage. So my wife and I, we met 15 years ago. I only want to get married once. I encourage you to have a really long list of values that you want your spouse to have. So it took a long time. I, we met when I was 41. Married at 43. But we met on a Monday night, and the restaurant was empty. And I looked around, I go, wow, the restaurant's empty. Would you go out to dinner with me next Monday? 
which we did. And we've been going out every Monday night for 15 years. Restaurants are empty. Babysitter knows. Kids know. Neighbors know. Restaurant knows. We only go to two places. It makes life easy, right? What do most couples do? You want to go out to, no, 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 we don't have a baby. All that crap. Every Monday night, we had a baby on a Sunday. We brought the one-day-old to the restaurant. <laughs> so that's simple. And it, it just makes life easy to have those consistent rhythms. And you said something else. Oh, so I'm the seventh of 10. We had one die. I told that story last year. Uh, 283 years of marriage now between all the siblings. No divorces. Thanks. But I have an advantage. So when I was 11 and my dad said that he was given six weeks to live, he told, he announced it to the family. He actually lived two and a half years. And he said, I got two and a half years. I mean, right before he died, he said, I had two and a half years to make a man out of you. And he said that to each one of us and it helped. But the most important decision you can make in your life, I think, is who you marry. And uh, yeah, I, I think. Betty, you got along with my wife. Melissa, isn't she a sweetheart? I got really lucky. And she's such a simple woman. So on the second date, I handed my wife the list that I had written 15 years earlier of the woman I will marry, which I never expected to meet. It was impossible. And it said, the woman I will marry have these attributes. And I encourage all of you to do that. So I handed it to her on the second date. And we're at a restaurant. I'm on the edge of my seat because I didn't really want to be married. I was I had a great life at 41. It was awesome. <laughs> but I knew she was the one. And I handed her the list and she picks it up and she's reading it. And it says, the woman I will marry. And I'm like nervous, I'm sweating. And she puts it down to the side and I'm like, she says, what are you having for dessert? I'm like, what? <laughs> but if you know my wife, that's how she is. She's that way to this day. So it's no different, though, when you're hiring people, is having that list of values of the perfect employee that believes what's on this sheet. Jeff, did you have something else? One last thing I want to know is, like, how you manage the, all that content, that information coming through your cell phone. <laughs> I don't use a cell phone because it, I miss out on life. So I still have my flip phone and I, my kids want a phone now. And I'm like, you can have daddy's flip phone. I don't want daddy's flip phone. <laughs> but I literally say four hours a day. Cause if you have a smartphone, what are you doing? You're adding 2 million apps and you're doing all that crap, but it just takes you away from life. Had the opportunity to meet the guy, the hair guy. Who's the hair guy? John Paul Mitchell. Was that his name? Guy doesn't have a cell phone. He's 72 and he's running around with pieces of paper of printed emails that his assistant gives him. He's like, I don't have time for a cell phone. Has anybody heard that story? Pretty cool. Thank you for bringing that up. I really think it's important for all of us, especially today, keep our home life simple, keep our businesses simple. There's a great book called Deep Work by Carlton. What's his last name? Yeah, deep work. And then he just wrote a book called Digital Minimalism. And he said, we were destroying our kids with electronics. We're destroying them because all we're doing is training them on how to have short attention spans. But the most significant things that happen in human history happen in four hour blocks of time. And what are we doing? We're teaching our kids how to have seven second blocks of time. 
and we're killing a generation. And he says this, which I believe 100%. He goes, it's no longer going to be about the haves and the have-nots. It's going to be about those who could keep their attention on something because they're not addicted to electronics, and those who can't, which is more than 99% of us. Thank you very much.